0: All right, if you've got your Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2. Uh, we're going to be in verses 9 and 10 this morning. Last week, we were going to do verses 8 through 10. We got through verse 8, and they ran out of time. So this morning, we will continue. Now, three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, we did uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses Uh, 6 and 7, we talked about how for the next few weeks we're going to be talking about faith. and So we talked about how Jesus Christ is the basis or the foundation of our faith. So last week we started talking about the sufficiency of our faith. And we talked about how our faith is sufficient in the face of a culture, in the face of different philosophies and different worldviews that try to tell us something opposite of Scripture, that, that what God lays out for us in His Word, it's enough to define our morality. It's enough to define our values. It's enough to define who God is and who Jesus is and what we do with that and how we respond to Him. Well, this morning we continue on with that idea of sufficiency, really focusing in on Jesus. And here's one of the great things about Colossians. Colossians reminds us of the focus of Christ because Colossians is, is all wrapped up in and around Jesus Christ and who He is. And that's good for us as a reminder because our faith should all be wrapped up around who Jesus Christ and who He is. As Christians, who Jesus is, uh, what Jesus has done for us, who God is, how God has loved us by sending His Son to die for us and sending the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, that is what envelops our whole faith. Yes, we are supposed to be moral, and yes, there are are ideas of righteousness and goodness that come along with Christianity, but that does not define or shape our faith. Our faith is defined and shaped by Jesus Christ. And here's the, the neat thing about that. There's a church back from where I'm from that I was looking on Facebook and I just happened to come across their, uh, their sermon series that they're doing for the next couple of weeks. Uh, and they're doing a sermon series called uh, Taking Back Your Calendar and so i 'm assuming by the, the graphic and by the the title that it 's all about how to uh, organize your day, not be too busy, not be too stressed and, and look there 's nothing wrong about just talking about being organized or uh, controlling your time better, but the church should be about something greater than something that you can uh, learn from a TED talk or that you can get from a seminar at work and What's better than just having some rules or some laws saying do this or be this than, than saying we have a Savior who loved us and who is greater? And so, you know what? Sometimes our schedule might be hectic, sometimes it's not. But guess what? My life is not defined by my schedule. My life is defined by Christ. Christ. And so the great thing about Christianity, which really separates it from other religions, is we don't have to focus in on rules and laws and stuff like that. We focus in on Christ. And the greater we see Christ, the more we respond in obedience because we love Him, not because we're trying to prove something or trying to earn something. And we'll get to that just a little bit later on. But as we go into this passage this morning, verses 9 and 10, it is inherently about Jesus Christ. And it reminds us of Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, where Paul spent these five verses spelling out the, the brilliance and the beauty and the greatness of Jesus. Let me just read that to you. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, He is the image of the invisible God. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians wraps everything that it teaches around the preeminence and the superiority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, because of who he is, the fullness of God, and and what he has done for us, that he has died for our sins, defines Him as the greatest and most important person in our life. And who He is and what He has done for us is sufficient to define our life and to impact every other category that exists in my life. Jesus and and what He has done for us and who He is should impact who I am as a pastor it should impact who I am as a husband. It should impact who I am as a father, as a friend, as a, as a citizen. It should impact everything about who I am. So last week we looked at, um, he kind of laid out some of the, the problems with some of the false teaching that has surrounded them. Um, let's just read verse 8 it Says a kind of refresher. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty the seed according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. And here's the mo- really the most defining aspect about it. And not according to Christ. So, if the, the biggest problem with all of this false teaching that they are having uh, kind of inundated in their area is that it is not according to Christ. What is teaching that is according to Christ and why is that important? Why is it important to say that teaching should be according to Christ and not, hey, Jesus is just as good as everything else. Um, Allah and Buddha and Muhammad and Confucius and uh, all this other stuff is just as valid as Jesus. Why can we not say that? That's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's look at verses 9 through 10, where Paul lays out teaching that is according to Christ. So we'll read verses 9 and 10, we'll pray, and then we're just going to make our way through the passage, or through the two verses. It says this, For in Him, that's talking about Jesus Christ, remember he says, Not according to Christ, for in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You now and just thank You for this time that You've given us, this day that we have to worship You. Father God, I pray that as we look at Your Word, um, Father God, I know that there's no way that I could do justice talking about how awesome You are. So Father God, I pray that You would take my feeble words, and Father God, empower them through Your Scripture, empower them through the Holy Spirit. And Father God, through the Word, through Your Holy Spirit, God, speak loud to our hearts. Father God, confront us with how great you are. And Father God, whether we need to repent, whether we need salvation, whether we just need to be reminded of your brilliance so that we can love you more. Father God, I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would work. I pray that we would be obedient. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the first thing that I want us to see is that Christ is uniquely qualified to offer salvation. Uh, Verse 9 starts off, it says, For in Him, that's Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There is a lot wrapped up in those uh, words. The whole whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There is so much rich truth existing in that. Now, let's talk about why Paul wrote that in the first place. In this ancient time when the Bible was written, there are a lot of false teachings that are spreading and then some that are kind of being birthed. People kind of take Christianity, a little bit of Christianity, they mix in a little bit of other stuff and they kind of create their own kind of false or new religions. And there's one that exists it exists in a bunch of different names. uh, Philosophical dualism, uh, Gnosticism. And it's this idea that there is this distinction, excuse me, there's this distinction between the spirit and the body in this sense. Everything in your spirit is good and everything in your body or of your flesh is evil. And there's this this great distinction and there's three ways that this distinction has had a negative impact on people uh, in this time and, and kind of in different ways throughout history. One is, they saw that because of this distinction, because your flesh is inherently evil and sinful anyways, then you could go and do whatever sin you want, the grossest, the worst, the most vile sins, and it did not impact you spiritually. You could still pray, you could still love God, you could still love Jesus, you could still do everything and be a great Christian or a great follower of God, and it had no matter what you did with your physical body. You wanted to go get drunk, you wanted to go get uh, addicted to stuff, you wanted to go have sex outside of marriage, you wanted to go just be the worst, the the vilest person, whatever. It did not matter. And so this view kind of set up this false idea that I can go and sin and do whatever I want, it has no... No impact on me spiritually. Now we know that's not what the Bible teaches at all. A second way that it it impacted people is there are those who went the complete opposite direction. And they said, because the flesh is inherently evil and the spirit is good, then I have to basically abuse my body to beat the bad stuff out of it. And they would do stuff like, um, I'm going to call it abusive fasting. The Bible does call us to fast and pray. But they would fast for the point of starving themselves so their body was so weak because therefore... If they weaken the body, then they weaken sin's influence on them. There are those who would take... um, They would build these whips and they would self-flog themselves. They would self-hit themselves on the back with a whip to cause themselves pain, trying to, to beat the flesh into submission or kind of beat the sin out of themselves. And then what's worse about... Probably worse than both of those is it created a a false understanding of Jesus. Because they looked at Jesus and they said, well, if the spirit is good, but if the flesh is evil, then there is absolutely no way that God would come down to earth and dwell in a human body like a man as Jesus did. Because that would mean that he would have to be putting on that sinful, evil, uh, inherently wrong and bad flesh. And so they said that Jesus was not uh, God and man, that he was God who appeared in a spirit. And so that plays a whole lot into our ideas of uh, the cross and Jesus paying our penalty uh, of of our sin and everything else. And so this false idea, this false teaching was kind of creeping through the the areas where Paul writes these letters. And Paul writes these words, "The the, uh, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily because he is confronting this idea. Now, that idea, of the whole fullness of deity dwelling bodily, it, it, sex, it sets up Jesus as unique. It sets up sets up Jesus as um, really the only person in all of history to satisfy these words or to fulfill these words. And so, we're going to break it down in two parts that, that kind of differentiate Christ to make him unique. One, the whole fullness of deity. What that means is Jesus Christ contained the whole fullness of what it meant to be God. That is Jesus Christ stepped down out of heaven into His creation that He created, that He made, and He put on human flesh, He did not in any way lose what it meant to be God. He still existed as God. He was still perfectly holy. He was still perfectly righteous. He was still perfectly just. It's why He still had control over creation, that He could heal the sick, that He could raise the dead, that He could... uh, Tell a fig tree to wither and die, while he could walk across the water and tell the storms to cease, because he still existed one hundred percent as God. It's why he could tell the, uh, the the demons to to get out of somebody or to. He had control over them. It's. It's why he could know people's hearts and know their thoughts. Because he existed as God. He did not lose his deity. He did not lose his godhood. He did not lose uh, what it meant to be God. He existed 100% as God. So the whole fullness of deity. And then it says dwells bodily. Not only was he fully God, but he was fully man. Meaning. He knew what it meant to get hungry. He knew what it meant to be tired. He had to grow. He had to uh, to learn in wisdom in the same way uh, we do, except that he was without sin. In fact, Hebrews tells us that he um, was tempted in every way that we were. He felt the same temptation, the same struggles that we do, except he never failed. He never messed up. He never sinned. And so Jesus Christ was 100% a human being, just like you and I, while at the same time being 100% God. This makes Him the perfect and only mediator between God and mankind. Because He was man, He could pay for the penalty of man's sin that man earned for himself. The sins that I've earned for myself, He could... He could die in my place and be a a just uh, uh, sacrifice. He could be a just replacement because he was a man. While at the same time being God, only God's perfect holiness, only God's perfect righteousness, only God's perfect goodness was enough to satisfy his demands against my sin. And so Jesus being fully God, Jesus being fully man, was the only one who could die for me and then become my mediator to be that one that stands between me and God and and argue on my behalf or say that I'd pay I died for him I paid the penalty for his sin he has placed his faith and trust in me so that I can have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ the son Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. So as Paul writes those words, he uses them very specifically that the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, so that we could find salvation in Him. The next thing that we see is that our faith in Christ makes us complete. He says, and you have been filled in Him. That word filled there, it, it, it carries with the idea of it being complete and sufficient. And if we are complete and sufficient in Him, it means that our, our faith or our relationship with God is, our, our, has been made complete and whole in Jesus Christ. So there's two ways that He is sufficient. One, Jesus is sufficient for our salvation. The Bible makes it clear that you and I, own our own, are insufficient. You and I own our own. We are born with the inherited sin of Adam from uh, birth. We are sinners. We are selfish. We uh, break God's law. We break God's commandments. Um, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not run. One for all of have sin, have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, are Sinners, with the exception of Jesus, because he was the the God-man. And so because we are sinners, that means that we are insufficient. That means that we cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot impress God. We cannot do anything that, that gets us anything from God. Listen to these words from a pastor named John MacArthur. He says this, As a result of the fall, the fall is when Adam and Eve sinned. As a result of the fall, man is in a sad state of incompleteness. He is spiritually incomplete because he is totally out of fellowship with God. He is morally incomplete because he lives outside of God's will. means we break God's laws, we break God's rules. And he is mentally incomplete because he does not know ultimate truth. We are naturally incomplete because we are naturally sinners. Jesus is the only one who can offer our salvation. Remember, Him being the God-man, Him being uh, the one, He died on the cross for our sin, so that He could take us who are incomplete and He could make us complete in His sacrifice, in His work, in His death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. He took what was incomplete and He makes us complete by us placing our faith and trust in Him. Not because of anything that we have done, but because Of what he has done. So we are needy and incomplete, and we need one to complete us, and that is Jesus. It also means that he is, uh, that we don't have to add anything to Jesus in order to get salvation. That it's not Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus morality. Jesus plus church attendance. Jesus plus uh, giving all your money away. Jesus plus whatever. It is not Jesus plus something that gives us life or that gives us salvation. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. John 1.16 says this, For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace." We receive His grace. That means we receive His forgiveness. We receive uh, that life, that adoption that is offered through Christ. We receive that grace from His fullness, the fullness of deity which dwells bodily. We receive that through Him, not through our works, not through how good we are, not through our morality. We don't receive anything through that. We receive grace only through Jesus. So does that mean as Christians that we do get to do whatever we want to? Absolutely not. Paul, when he writes the book of Romans, actually asks that, where he says, well, should we continue to sin? He says, by no means, absolutely not. Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We obey God, not because we're trying to get something from God or earn something from God or impress God in some way. We obey because we love God. Because God loved us enough to send his son. Because Jesus loved us enough to die on the cross because the Holy Spirit loves us enough to move us and to exist within us and to move us closer to Christ. We love God for who He is and what He has done for us. Therefore, we strive to walk morally. Therefore, we strive to live obediently. Therefore, we live a life that honors and glorifies Jesus. Not because we're trying to receive something or get something, but because of what He has already done for us. That's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Not, keep my commandments and then I will love you. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Our obedience flows from our love. Love creates obedience. Not obedience gives us love. So we Jesus Christ is sufficient for our salvation, that He alone, His death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven is enough to pay the penalty for our sins so that we can have forgiveness of sins, that we can have eternal life, that we can have adoption into God's family through Him. It is Jesus alone and not Jesus plus anything else. Next, not only is Jesus sufficient for our salvation, but He is sufficient for our lives. Now, there are a lot of good things in our life. I've got my wife. I've got my kids. I've got a a good job. I've got good friends. There are a lot of good things in my life. But there is only one thing that is the greatest. And that is God. That is Jesus. And so the mindset that I've got to have or the worldview that I've got to have or the truth that I've got to understand and apply into my life is that Jesus is sufficient for making my life complete, making my life full, making my life whole, giving me joy, giving me peace, giving me satisfaction, giving me hope... That Jesus is sufficient in and of himself now he uses a lot of this other stuff, this other stuff is good, my family is good, my job is good, everything, all that God uses all of this stuff, and He uses it well in my life to show me His greatness, to show me his love, to show me his faithfulness, but my life has to be first and foremost understanding that I am sufficient in Him, and that doesn 't mean that 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 my family and my job, it doesn't mean that none of that has value, but it means that my life is defined by Him in the sense that it means this. It means if if Jessica and I are arguing, or if it means uh, my kids are driving me crazy, it means if I am uh, overwhelmed by my job, it means that even if my life is is difficult and falling apart, I can still respond like Christ. I can still love like Christ. I can still forgive like Christ. I can still have joy and peace even in the hardest of times because while this other stuff does impact my life and it is good and it's stuff that I have to work on, Jesus is the one who defines my life. And He alone is enough. He alone is sufficient to define who I am and what I believe. So that even if my kids are acting crazy, then I can still love them even if I'm frustrated. I can still love them even if I have to discipline them. I can still forgive them even if I'm angry. When my job overwhelms me, I don't have to turn and just say, I quit. I don't have to turn and say, well, I'm just going to go do this instead of working. I don't have to uh, turn and leave my job because I know that my life is not wrapped up in my job. That does not define me. What defines me is Jesus Christ, and He is the one who molds me, who shapes me, who forms me me, and I am, for He is sufficient for me. My life is built on Jesus and His sacrifices, and not my works or not other people, that His completeness is enough. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 says this, His divine power, this is talking about Jesus, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, "...through what? The knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." What Peter says there is through Jesus Christ and through knowing Him and knowing more about Him and drawing closer to Him, we have through Him promised everything that we need for life and godliness, that we are partakers of the divine nature, that because of Jesus Christ, because of the Holy Spirit, because we are adopted into God's family, it doesn't mean that we are gods, it doesn't make us equal to God, but we can... We can walk with God. We can love in a way that is supernatural to human beings. We can love those who despise us, love those who hate us, love those who do wrong to us. We can forgive those who have wronged us because of Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, 11 through 13 says this, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me." That verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's not a verse about, hey, I can go make a million dollars through Christ who strengthens me. Or I can go start a business. Or I can go be the best athlete in the world through Christ who strengthens me. It's not what that verse is about. That verse means that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Just before Paul mentions that, he says, look, I've learned the secret of being hungry and I've learned the secret of having plenty to eat. I've learned the secret of being poor and in need and I've learned the secret of being in or having an abundance. And it's not whether I'm hungry or full, I'm rich and poor. My life is sufficient. It is defined by Jesus Christ. So how do we make that maybe a little bit more practical? Practical. Let's replace where he talks about plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Whether I am single or married... I've learned the secret of being content in all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whether I'm healthy or sick, whether I'm fat or skinny, whether I'm popular or unpopular, whether I have lost loved ones or whether my loved ones are still with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter my situation, no matter what my life looks like, Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is enough. Let me finish a quote. I read something from John MacArthur earlier. Let me read the second half of that quote. He says this, At salvation, believers become partakers of the divine nature and are made complete. Believers are spiritually complete because they have fellowship with God. They are morally complete because they recognize the authority of God's will. They are mentally complete because they know the truth about ultimate reality. People spend their whole life looking for things to complete them. Whether it's family, whether it's job, whether it ends up being something destructive like addiction, uh, whether it's hobbies, people constantly look for things to bring them completeness, to make them full, to make them whole. And there's only one place where human beings can find that, only one person they can find it in, and that is Jesus. And third, we'll close with this. Our faith is in the one who has authority over all it says who is the head of all rule and authority our our faith in Christ is sufficient because we don't serve a weak savior we serve a Savior who, in, in, in chapter 1, it talked about how He created all things, and all things have been made by Him and for Him. Here, Right here, He says uh, that He has the, or is the head of all rule and authority. We serve a God. We have a Savior who is in control of all Things. we don't have a weak God we don't have a weak Savior we don't have a Savior who is who is somehow subject to anything or anybody else but we serve the God the Savior in Jesus Christ who has created all things formed all things is in control of all things in Colossians chapter 1 the 15 through 20 where it talks about that he is over um let me read it so I make sure that I get it right um He says that He is preeminent, um, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, uh, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. What that means is anything and everything, physical, uh, spiritual, whatever, that might have impact in our life, Jesus is greater than, bigger than, stronger than, and in control over that we serve a God who is not a weak God. We serve a God that does not have to get permission from anybody else. We serve a God who, as Psalm, chapter one, uh, Psalm 115 verse 3 says, that He sits on His throne and does whatever He pleases. We serve a God who is in absolute control over everything. So if we're going to have faith in someone... Why would, we trust in, in, why would I trust in someone who is on par with me? Why would I trust someone who's as strong as me or as knowledgeable as me or has the authority that I have? Why would I not trust in the one who is greater than all things, greater than presidents, greater than kings, greater than congresses, greater than bosses, greater than jobs, who has more authority than anything else or anyone else in the history of all creation? Why would I not place my faith and trust in anything less than the one who sits on the throne and rules from heaven doing whatever he pleases. Our faith is sufficient because of who God is And what He has done for us. Our faith is sufficient because Jesus is unique. Our faith is sufficient because He is the fullness of deity dwelling bodily. That He is man and God. And He serves as the mediator that no one else can. Our faith is sufficient because Jesus is sufficient in who He is. He makes us complete. He fulfills us which nothing else can do in the same capacity and way that He does and then our faith is sufficient because we serve a God who sits on his throne, who is in control of all things. The idea of being complete, the idea of being whole, of being full, we have that in Christ. Sometimes we lose sight of that. And sometimes we shift our, our vision from instead of being focused on what's in front of us, on being focused on Christ, we shift it to the right or we shift it to the left. We have to daily be spending time in prayer. We have to consistently be spending time in God's Word. Seeing Scripture that that does this, that it shows us the greatness, the awesomeness, the power, the worth of Jesus Christ. And it's not because He is weak, it's because we are frail. And we can so easily buy into this lie or that lie. This voice crying out saying, I can help you. This voice crying out saying, I can make you whole. Anything striving to pull us away from Jesus. And how sad a thing it is when we as believers allow our our focus to be shifted to things that are less than when we have the one who is greater than calling out to us day in saying, I love you, I've forgiven you, you are mine, walk with me. As Christians, let us be remembered. That if our vision, our gaze begins to trail off to the right or to the left, repent of it and reset our focus on Jesus, that He might be first and He might be first alone. And if you're in this room tonight or this morning, excuse me, and you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you are looking for a lot of other things to bring you hope, to bring you joy, to bring you satisfaction, to bring you purpose, to bring you salvation, and none of them can satisfy. Not the perfect relationship, not the perfect child, not the perfect job, none of that can bring the hope, the joy, the satisfaction, the life that only Jesus Christ can bring. It is our encouragement this morning that if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus, that this morning you would understand who He is, the fullness of God, dwelling, or the fullness of deity, dwelling bodily, who died for you that you might have life, and that you might repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, that you might know the sufficiency of faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now and thank you for this time that you've given us. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you that Jesus came, that he died for us, that he was unique, that he was perfect, that he is sufficient. Father God, I pray for those in this room who don't know you. God, who are still looking to other sources, Father God, for something that can fulfill them. Father God, speak to the depths of their heart and let them know that You and You alone can do that. And Father God, that You offer that through Your Son and that this morning they might turn to You. Father God, I pray for the believers in this room, those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Father God, I pray that You would help us to day in, day out, make sure, God, that our focus is set on You. Father God, that we don't temporarily shift, God, our focus to things that just, maybe they're good things, but they're not as good as You. And Father God, let our sufficiency in You impact every other aspect of our life. God, we love You and we thank You. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.